Section 7 of the Natural History, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devin Tadlow. Chapter 24, Section 8. Remedies Derived from Foreign Animals, the Elephant. Eight Remedies. Such, then, are the remedies from human beings which may, with any degree of propriety, be described, and many of those only with the leave and goodwill of the reader. The rest are of a most execrable and infamous nature, such, in fact, as to make me hasten to close my description of the remedies derived from man. We will therefore proceed to speak of the more remarkable animals and the effects produced by them. The blood of the elephant, the male in particular, arrests all those defluxions known by the name of rheumatismi. Ivory shavings, it is said, in combination with attic honey, are good for the removal of spots upon the face. With the sawdust, too, of ivory, hangnails are removed. By the touch of an elephant's trunk, headache is alleviated, if the animal happens to sneeze at the time more particularly. The right side of the trunk, attached to the body with the red earth of Lemnos, acts powerfully as an aphrodisiac. Elephant's blood is good for consumption and the liver for epilepsy. Chapter 25. Ten Remedies Derived from the Lion. Lion's fat, mixed with the oil of roses, protects the skin of the face from all kinds of spots, and preserves the whiteness of the complexion. It is remedial also for such parts of the body as have been frozen by snow, and for swellings in the joints. The frivolous lies of the magicians assert that persons who are anointed with lion's fat will more readily win favor with kings and peoples, more particularly when the fat has been used that lies between the eyebrows of the animal, a place, in fact, where there is no fat to be found. The like effects they promise also from the possession of a lion's tooth, one from the right side in particular, as also the shaggy hairs that are found upon the lower jaw. The gall, used as an ointment in combination with water, improves the eyesight, and, employed with the fat of the same animal, is a cure for epilepsy. But the slightest taste only must be taken of it, and the patient must run immediately after swallowing it, in order to digest it. A lion's heart, used as food, is curative of quartan fevers, and the fat taken with the oil of roses of quotidian fevers. Wild beasts will fly from persons anointed with lion's fat, and it is thought to be a preservative even against treacherous practices. Chapter 26. Ten Remedies Derived from the Camel A camel's brains, dried and taken in vinegar, are a cure, they say, for epilepsy. The same, too, with the gall, taken with honey 
which is a remedy also for quinsy. A camel's tail dried, it is said, is productive of diarrhea, and ashes of burnt camel's dung mixed with oil make the hair curl. These ashes, applied topically, are very useful for dysentery, as also taken in drink, the proper dose being a pinch in three fingers at a time. They are curative also of epilepsy. Camel's urine, it is said, is very useful to fullers, and is good for the cure of running sores. Barbarous nations, we are told, are in the habit of keeping it till it is five years old, and then taking it as a purgative in doses of one semi-sextarius. The hairs of the tail, it is said, plaited and attached to the left arm, are a cure for quartan fevers. Chapter 27. 79 Remedies Derived from the Hyena But of all animals, it is the hyena that has been held in the highest admiration by the magicians, who have gone so far as to attribute to it certain magical virtues even, and the power of alluring human beings and depriving them of their senses. Of its change of sex each year, and other monstrous peculiarities in its nature, we have spoken already. We will now proceed to describe the medicinal virtues that are ascribed to it. The hyena, it is said, is particularly terrible to panthers, so much so, indeed, that they will not attempt to make the slightest resistance to it, and will never attack a man who has any portion of a hyena's skin about him. A thing truly marvellous to tell of, if the hides of these two animals are hung up facing one another, the hair will fall off of the panther's skin. When the hyena flies before the hunter, it turns off on the right, and letting the man get before it follows in his track. Should it succeed in doing which, the man is sure to lose his senses and fall from his horse even. But if, on the other hand, it turns to the left, it is a sign that the animal is losing strength, and that it will soon be taken. The easiest method, however, of taking it, they say, is for the hunter to tie his girdle with seven knots, and to make as many knots in the whip with which he guides his horse. In addition to all this, so full of quirks and subtleties are the vain conceits of the magicians that they recommend the hyena to be captured while the moon is passing through the sign of the Gemini, and every hair of it to be preserved if possible. They say, too, that the skin of the head is highly efficacious if attached to a person suffering from headache, that the gall applied to the forehead is curative of ophthalmia, and that if the gall is boiled down with three syathi of attic honey and one ounce of saffron, it will be a most effectual preservative against that disease, the same preparation being equally good for the dispersion of films on the eyes and cataract. If, again, this preparation is kept till it is old, it will be all the better for improving the sight, 
due care being taken to preserve it in a box of Cyprian copper. They assert also that it is good for the cure of Arjima, eruptions and excrescences of the eyes, and marks upon those organs. For diseases of the crystalline humors of the eyes, it is recommended to anoint them with the gravy of hyena's liver roasted fresh, incorporated with clarified honey. We learn also from the same sources that the teeth of the hyena are useful for the cure of toothache, the diseased tooth being either touched with them or the animal's teeth being arranged in their regular order and attached to the patient that the shoulders of this animal are good for the cure of pains in the arms and shoulders, that the teeth extracted from the left side of the jaw and wrapped in the skin of a sheep or he-goat are an effectual cure for pains in the stomach, that the lights of an animal taken with food are good for celiac affections, that the lights reduced to ashes and applied with oil are also soothing to the stomach, that the marrow of the backbone, used with old oil and gall, is strengthening to the sinews, that the liver, tasted thrice just before the paroxysms, is good for quartan fevers, that the ashes of the vertebrae, applied in hyena's skin with the tongue and right foot of a sea calf and a bull's gall, the whole boiled up together, are soothing for gout, that for the same disease, hyena's gall is advantageously employed in combination with stone of assos, that for the cold shiverings, spasms, sudden fits of starting, and palpitations of the heart, it is a good plan to eat some portion of a hyena's heart cooked, care being taken to reduce the rest to ashes and to apply it with the brains of the animal to the part affected. That this last composition, or the gall applied alone, acts as a depilatory, the hairs being first plucked out, which are wanted not to grow again. That by this method, superfluous hairs of the eyelids may be removed. That the flesh of the loins, eaten and applied with oil, is a cure for pains in the loins and that sterility in females may be removed by giving them the eye of this animal to eat, in combination with licorice and dill, conception within three days being warranted as the result. Persons afflicted with nightmare and dread of specters will experience relief, they say, by attaching one of the large teeth of the hyena to a, the body with a linen thread. In fits of delirium, too, it is recommended to fumigate the patient with the smoke of one of these teeth, and to attach one in front of his chest with the fat of the kidneys, or else the liver or skin. They assert also that a pregnant woman will never miscarry if she wears suspended from her neck the white flesh from a hyena's breast with seven hairs and the genitals of a stag, the whole tied up in the skin of a gazelle. The genitals, they say, eaten with honey, act as a stimulant upon a person, according to the sex, and this even though it should be the case of a man 
who has manifested an aversion to all intercourse with females. Nay, even more than all this, we are assured that if the genitals and a certain joint of the vertebrae are preserved in a house with the hide adhering to them, they will ensure peace and concord between all members of the family. Hence, it is that this part is known as the joint of the spine, or Atlantean knot. This joint, which is the first, is reckoned among the remedies for epilepsy. The fumes of the burnt fat of this animal will put serpents to flight, they say, and the jawbone, pounded with anise and taken with the food, is a cure for shivering fits. A fumigation made therewith has the effect of an amenagogue, and such are the frivolous and absurd conceits of the professors of the magic art, that they boldly assert that if a man attaches to his arm a tooth from the right side of the upper jaw, he will never miss any object he may happen to aim at with a dart. The palate, dried and warmed with Egyptian alum, is curative of bad odors and ulcers of the mouth. Care being taken to renew the application three times. Dogs, they say, will never bark at persons who have a hyena's tongue in the shoe, beneath the sole of the foot. The left side of the brain, applied to the nostrils, is said to have a soothing effect upon all dangerous maladies, either in men or beasts. They say, too, that the skin of the forehead is a preservative against all fascinations, that the flesh of the neck, whether eaten or dried and taken in drink, is good for pains in the loins, that the sinews of the back and shoulders, used as a fumigation, are good for pains in the sinews, that the bristles of the snout applied to a woman's lips have all the effect of a filter, and that the liver administered in drink is curative of gripping pains and urinary calculi. The heart, it is said, taken with the food or drink, is remedial for all kinds of pains in the body. The milt for pains in the spleen, the call, in combination with oil, for inflammatory ulcers, and the marrow for pains in the spine and weakness in the sinews. The strings of the kidneys, they say, if taken with wine and frankincense, will restore fruitfulness. In cases where it has been banished through the agency of noxious spells, the uterus, taken in drink with the rind of a sweet pomegranate, is highly beneficial for diseases of the uterus, and that the fat of the loins, used as a fumigation, removes all impediments to delivery and accelerates parturition. The marrow of the back, attached to the body as an amulet, is an effectual remedy for fantastic illusions, and the genitals of the male animal, used as a fumigation, are good for the cure of spasms. For ophthalmia, ruptures, and inflammations, the feet, which are kept for the purpose, are touched. The left feet, 
for affections on the right side of the body and the right feet for affections on the left. The left foot, if laid upon the body of a woman in travail, will be productive, they say, of fatal effects. But the right foot, similarly employed, will facilitate delivery. The vesicle which has contained the gall, taken in wine or with food, is beneficial for cardiac disease, and the bladder, taken in wine, is a good preservative against incontinence of the urine. The urine, too, which is found in the bladder, taken with oil, sesame, and honey, is said to be useful for diseases of long standing. The first rib and the eighth, used as a fumigation, are said to be useful for ruptures. The vertebrae for women in travail and the blood, in combination with polenta, for griping pains in the bowels. If the doorposts are touched with this blood, the various arts of the magicians will be rendered of no effect. They will neither be able to summon the gods into their presence nor to converse with them, whatever the method to which they have recourse, whether lamps or basin, water or globe, or any other method. The flesh of the hyena, taken as food, is said to be efficacious for the bite of a mad dog, and the liver still more so. The flesh or bones of a human being, which have been found in the belly of a slain hyena, used as a fumigation, are said to be remedial for gout. But if among these remains the nails are found, it is looked upon as a presage of death to someone among those who have captured it. The excrements or bones which have been voided by the animal at the moment when killed are looked upon as counter charms to magic spells. The dung found in the intestines is dried and administered in drink for dysentery, and it is applied to all parts of the body with goose grease in the form of a liniment. In the case of persons who have received injury from some noxious medicament. By rubbing themselves with the grease and lying upon the skin of a hyena, persons who have been bitten by dogs are cured. On the other hand, the ashes of the left pastern bone, they say, boiled with weasel's blood and applied to a person's body will ensure universal hatred, a similar effect being equally produced by the eye when boiled. But the most extraordinary thing of all is their assertion that the extremity of the rectum of this animal is a preservative against all oppression on the part of chiefs and potentates, and an assurance of success in all petitions, judgments, and lawsuits and this if a person only carries it about him. The anus, according to them, has so powerful an effect as a filter that if it is worn on the left arm, a woman will be sure to follow the wearer the moment he looks at her. The hairs, too, of this part, reduced to ashes and applied with oil to the body of a man who is living a life of disgraceful effeminacy, 
will render him not only modest, they assure us, but of scrupulous morals even. Chapter 28. Nineteen Remedies Derived from the Crocodile For fabulous stories connected with it, the crocodile may challenge the next place, and indeed for cunning, the one which lives both upon land and in the water is fully its equal. For I here would remark that there are two varieties of this animal. The teeth of the right jaw of the amphibious crocodile, attached to the right arm as an amulet, acts as an aphrodisiac, that is, if we choose to believe it. The eye teeth of the animal, filled with frankincense, for they are hollow, are a cure for periodical fevers, care being taken to let the patient remain five days without seeing the person who has attached them to his body. A similar virtue is attributed to the small stones which are found in the belly of this animal, as being a check to the cold shiverings in fevers, when about to come on. And with the same object, the Egyptians are in the habit of anointing their sick with the fat of the crocodile. The other kind of crocodile resembles it, but is much inferior in size. It lives upon land only, and among the most odoriferous flowers. Hence it is that its intestines are so greatly in request, being filled as they are with a mass of agreeable perfumes. This substance is called crocodilea, and it is looked upon as an extremely beneficial for diseases of the eyes, and for the treatment of films and cataract being applied with leek juice in the form of an ointment. Applied with oil of cypress, it removes blemishes growing upon the face, and employed with water, it is a cure for all those diseases, the nature of which it is to spread upon the face, while at the same time it restores the natural tints of the skin. An application of it makes freckles disappear, as well as all kinds of spots and pimples, and it is taken for epilepsy in doses of two oboli in oxymel. Used in the form of a pessary, it acts as an eminagogue. The best kind of crocodiles is that which is the whitest, friable, and the lightest in weight. When rubbed between the fingers, it should ferment like leaven. The usual method is to wash it as they do white lead. It is sometimes adulterated with amylum or with simoleon earth, but the most common method of sophistication is to catch the crocodiles and feed them upon nothing but rice. It is recommended as one of the most efficient remedies for cataract to anoint the eyes with crocodiles' gall incorporated with honey. We are assured also that it is highly beneficial for affections of the uterus to make fumigations with the intestines and rest of the body, or else to envelop the patient with wool impregnated with the smoke. The ashes of the skin of either crocodile, applied with vinegar to such parts of the body as are about to undergo an incision, 
or indeed the very smell of the skin when burning, will render the patient insensible to the knife. The blood of either crocodile applied to the eyes effaces marks upon those organs and improves the sight. The body, with the exception of the head and feet, is eaten, boiled, for the cure of sciatica, and is found very useful for chronic coughs. In children, more particularly, it is equally good, too, for the cure of lumbago. These animals have a certain fat also, which, when applied to the hair, makes it fall off. Persons anointed with this fat are effectually protected against crocodiles, and it is the practice to drop it into the wounds inflicted by them. A crocodile's heart, attached to the body in the wool of a black sheep without a speck of any other color, due care too being taken that the sheep was the first lamb yeaned by its dam, will effectually cure a courting fever, it is said. Chapter 29. Fifteen Remedies Derived from the Chameleon. To these animals we shall annex some others that are equally foreign and very similar in their properties. To begin then with the chameleon, which Democritus has considered worthy to be made subject of an especial work, and that each part of which has been consecrated to some particular purpose. This book, in fact, has afforded me no small amusement, revealing as it does and exposing the lies and frivolities of the Greeks. In size, the chameleon resembles the crocodile last mentioned, and only differs from it in having the backbone arched at a more acute angle and a larger tail. There is no animal, it is thought, more timid than this, a fact to which it owes its repeated changes of color. It has a peculiar ascendancy over the hawk tribe, for, according to report, it has the power of attracting those birds when flying above it, and then leaving them a voluntary prey for other animals. Democritus asserts that if the head and neck of a chameleon are burnt in a fire made with logs of oak, it will be productive of a storm, attended with rain and thunder a result equally produced by burning the liver upon the tiles of a house. As to the rest of the magical virtues which he ascribes to this animal, we shall forbear to mention them, although we look upon them as unfounded, except, indeed, in some few instances where their very ridiculousness sufficiently refutes his assertions. The right eye, he says, taken from the living animal and applied with goat's milk, removes diseases of crystalline humors of the eyes, and the tongue, attached to the body as an amulet, is an effectual preservative against the perils of childbirth. He asserts also that the animal itself will facilitate parturition, if in the house at the moment, but if, on the other hand, it is brought from elsewhere, the consequences, he says, will be most dangerous. The tongue, he tells us, if taken from the animal alive, will ensure a favorable result to suits at law, and the heart, 
attached to the body with black wool of the first shearing is a good preservative against the attacks of courtin fever. He states also that the right forepaw, attached to the left arm in the skin of the hyena, is a most effectual preservative against robberies and alarms at night. That the pap on the right side is preventative of fright and panics. That the left foot is sometimes burnt in a furnace with the plant which also has the name of chameleon, and is then made up with some unguent into lozenges, and that these lozenges kept in a wooden vessel have the effect, if we choose to believe him, of making their owner invisible to others. That the possession also of the right shoulder of this animal will ensure victory over all adversaries or enemies, provided always the party throws the sinews of the shoulder upon the ground and treads them underfoot. As the left shoulder of the chameleon, I should be quite ashamed to say to what monstrous purposes Democritus devotes it, how that dreams may be produced by the agency thereof and transferred to any person we may think proper, how that these dreams may be dispelled by the employment of the right foot, and how that lethargy, which has been produced by the right foot of the animal, may be removed by the agency of the left side. So too, headache, he tells us, may be cured by sprinkling wine upon the head, in which either flank of a chameleon has been macerated. If the feet are rubbed with the ashes of the left thigh or foot, Milked with sow's milk, gout, he says, will be the result. It is pretty generally believed, however, that cataract and diseases of the crystalline humors of the eyes may be cured by anointing those organs with the gall for three consecutive days, that serpents may be put to flight by dropping some of it into the fire, that weasels may be attracted by water into which it has been thrown, and that, applied to the body, it acts as a depilatory. The liver, they say, applied with the lungs of a bramble frog, is productive of a similar effect. In addition to which, we are told that the liver counteracts the effects of filters, that persons are cured of melancholy by drinking from the warm skin of a chameleon the juice of the plant known by that name, and that if the intestines of the animal and their contents, we should bear in mind that in reality the animal lives without food, are mixed with ape's urine, and the doors of an enemy are besmeared with the mixture, he will, through its agency, become the object of universal hatred. We are told, too, that by the agency of the tail, the course of rivers and torrents may be stopped, and serpents struck with torpor, that the tail, prepared with cedar and myrrh, and tied to a double branch of the date palm, will divide waters that are smitten therewith, and so disclose everything that lies at the bottom. And I only wish that Democritus himself had been touched up with the branch of the palm, 
seeing that, as he tells us, it has the property of putting an end to immoderate garrulity. It is quite evident that this philosopher, a man who has shown himself so sagacious in other respects, and so useful to his fellow men, has been led away in this instance by too earnest a desire to promote the welfare of mankind. Chapter 30. Four Remedies Derived from the Cincus Similar in appearance to the preceding animals is the Cincus, which by some writers has been called the land crocodile. It is, however, whiter in appearance, and the skin is not so thick. But the main difference between it and the crocodile is in the arrangement of the scales, which run from the tail towards the head. The largest of these animals is the Indian Cincus, and next to it that of Arabia. They are brought here salted. The muscle and fat of the Cincus, taken in white wine, act as an aphrodisiac, when used with satyrion and rocket seed more particularly. In the proportion of one drachma of each, mixed with two drachmae of pepper, the whole being made up into lozenges of one drachma each, and so taken in drink. The flesh from the flanks, taken internally in a similar manner, in doses of two oboli, with myrrh and pepper, is generally thought to be productive of a similar effect, and to be even more efficacious for the purpose. According to Appels, the flesh of the Cincus is good for wounds inflicted by poisoned arrows, whether taken before or after the wound is inflicted. It is used as an ingredient also in the most celebrated antidotes. Sextus tells us that taken in doses of more than one drachma in one semi-sextarius of wine, the flesh is productive of deadly results. He adds, too, that a broth prepared from it, taken with honey, acts as an antiphrodisiac. Chapter 31. Seven Remedies Derived from the Hippopotamus Between the crocodile, too, and the hippopotamus, there is a certain affinity frequenting as they do the same river, and being both of them of an amphibious nature. The hippopotamus was the first inventor of the practice of letting blood, a fact to which we have made allusion on a previous occasion. It is found, too, in the greatest numbers in the parts above the prefecture of Sais. The hide, reduced to ashes and applied with water, is curative of inflamed tumors, and the fat, as well as the dung, used as a fumigation, is employed for the cure of cold agues. With the teeth of the left side of the jaw, the gums are scarified for the cure of toothache. The skin of the left side of the forehead, attached to the groin, acts as an antiphrodisiac and an application of the ashes of the same part 
will cause the hair to grow when lost through alopecky. The testes are taken in water in doses of one drachma for the cure of injuries inflicted by serpents. The blood is made of use of by painters. Chapter 32 Five Remedies Derived from the Lynx To foreign countries also belongs the lynx, which of all quadrupeds is possessed of the most piercing sight. It is said that in the Isle of Carpathus, a most powerful medicament is obtained by reducing to ashes the nails of the lynx, together with the hide that these ashes taken in drink have the effect of checking abominable desires in men, and that if they are sprinkled upon women, all libidinous thoughts will be restrained. They are good, too, for the removal of itching sensations in any part of the body. The urine of the lynx is a remedy for strangury, for which reason the animal, it is said, is in the habit of rooting up the ground and covering it the moment it is voided. It is mentioned, too, that this urine is an effectual remedy for pains in the throat, thus much with reference to foreign animals. Chapter 33, 9. Remedies furnished in common by animals of the same class whether wild or tame. Fifty-four medicinal uses of milk, with observations thereon. We will now return to our own part of the world, speaking, first of all, of certain remedies common to animals in general, but excellent in their nature, such as the use of milk, for example. The most beneficial milk to every creature is the mother's milk. It is highly dangerous for nursing women to conceive. Children that are suckled by them are known among us as colostrati. Their milk being thick like cheese in appearance, the name colostra, it should be remembered, is given to the first milk secreted after delivery, which assumes a spongy, coagulated form. The most nutritive milk in all cases is woman's milk, and next to that, goat's milk, to which is owing, probably, the fabulous story that Jupiter was suckled by a goat. The sweetest next to woman's milk is camel's milk, but the most efficacious, medicinally speaking, is ass's milk. It is in animals of the largest size and individuals of the greatest bulk that the milk is secreted with the greatest facility. Goat's milk agrees the best with the stomach, that animal browsing more than grazing. Cow's milk is considered more medicinal, while ewe's milk is sweeter and more nutritive, but not so well adapted to the stomach, it being more oleaginous than any other. Every kind of milk is more aqueous in spring than in summer, and the same in all cases where the animal has grazed upon a new pasture. The best milk of all is that which adheres to the fingernail when placed there and does not run off from it. Milk is most harmless when boiled, more particularly if sea pebbles have been boiled with it. 
cow's milk is the most relaxing, and all kinds of milk are less apt to inflate when boiled. Milk is used for all kinds of internal ulcerations, those of the kidneys, bladder, intestines, throat, and lungs in particular. And externally, it is employed for itching sensations upon the skin and for purulent eruptions, it being taken fasting for the purpose. We have already stated, when speaking of the plants, how that in Arcadia, cow's milk is administered for phthisis, consumption, and cachexy. Instances are cited also of persons who have been cured of gout in the hands and feet by drinking ass's milk. To these various kinds of milk, medical men have added another, to which they have given the name schistin, the following being the usual method of preparing it. Goat's milk, which is used in preference for the purpose, is boiled in a new earthen vessel and stirred with branches of a fig tree newly gathered, as many kayathi of honeyed wine being added to it as there are semi-sextarii of milk. When the mixture boils, care is taken to prevent it running over by plunging it into a silver kayathis measure filled with cold water, none of the water being allowed to escape. When taken off the fire, the constituent parts of it divide as it cools, and the whey is thus separated from the milk. Some persons, again, take this whey, which is now very strongly impregnated with wine, and after boiling it down to one-third, leave it to cool in the open air. The best way of taking it is in doses of one semi-sextarius, at stated intervals during five consecutive days. After taking it, riding exercise should be used by the patient. This way is administered in cases of epilepsy, melancholy, paralysis, leprosy, elephantitis, and diseases of the joints. Milk is employed as an injection when exoriations have been caused by the use of strong purgatives. In cases also where dysentery is productive of chafing. It is similarly employed, boiled with sea pebbles or tzian of barley. Where, however, the intestines are exoriated, cow's milk or ewe's milk is the best. New milk is used as an injection for dysentery, and in an unboiled state, it is employed for affections of the colon and uterus, and for injuries inflicted by serpents. It is also taken internally as an antidote to the venom of cantharides, the pine caterpillar, the buprestis, and the salamander. Cow's milk is particularly recommended for persons who have taken colchium, hemlock, dorichinium, or the flesh of the sea hare, and ass's milk in cases where gypsum, white lead, sulfur, or quicksilver have been taken internally. This last is good, too, for constipation attendant upon fever, and is remarkably useful as a gargle for ulcerations of the throat. It is taken also internally by patients suffering from atrophy for the purpose of recruiting their exhausted strength, as also in cases of fever unattended with headache. The ancients held it as one of their grand secrets 
to administer to children before taking food, a semi sextarius of ass's milk, or for want of that, goat's milk, a similar dose too, was given to children troubled with chafing of the rectum at stool. It is considered a sovereign remedy for hardness of breathing to take cow's milk whey mixed with nasturtium. In cases of ophthalmia, too, the eyes are fomented with a mixture of one semi-sextarius of milk and four drachmae of pounded sesame. Goat's milk is a cure for diseases of the spleen, but in such case the goats must fast a couple days and be fed on ivy leaves the third. The patient, too, must drink the milk for three consecutive days without taking any other nutriment. Milk, under other circumstances, is detrimental to persons suffering from headache, liver complaints, diseases of the spleen, and affections of the sinews. It is bad for fevers also, vertigo, except, indeed, where it is required as a purgative, oppression of the head, coughs, and ophthalmia. Sow's milk is extremely useful in cases of tenesmus, dysentery, and phthisis. Authors have been found, too, to assert that it is very wholesome for females. End of section 11 of Pliny's Natural History. Recording by Devin Tatlow.